Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Patrick, and welcome back to the Common Sense Podcast. We are still sharing eight queer coming of age stories, and I'm so excited about Jonathan's story. At its core, it's really about a father and son's relationship that changes over time, especially when you're challenging religious upbringings. Um, I think it's like as a kid, knowing, growing up in the South, growing up like, my dad's a pastor, so growing up really like heavy in the church, there's a ton of ideas that you're just really inundated with on like queer people, queer black people. And for a long time, um, I don't know, for a long time, I just, like, didn't let myself feel those feelings, like, towards guys, and so I guess I didn't really, I guess, come out, and my thinking is, like, telling someone else, that, like, oh, I'm gay or I'm queer until I was 18 or 19, maybe 20. Um, I remember the first time I told, like, someone in my family was my cousin. I was, like, 20 years old, and I was a camp counselor, and I was, one summer, I was in upstate New York, it's, like, having a really great time we were like in the woods I didn't have any cell service I didn't have any um any cell service any internet I was living in a tent with all my campers for like three months so like super disconnected but like really awesome and I remember that there was this other guy on um as a co-worker I guess and we just spent the summer like flirting with each other like we met the first day we were on like the same so everyone like flew into like JFK and then they bust us over to the like an hour upstate into the onto the camp and so I remember getting my bags and just like seeing this group of people I'm like okay that's probably who I need to be with and this guy um he was like oh are you Jonathan I was like yeah what's your name he's like my name is xyz um when he ended up sitting like a seat in front of me and we we're just like talking the entire time um had like a lot of similar experiences but then I was like oh he's just like really friendly and so just like little things uh throughout the summer like Saying, do you want to go get coffee together? Or, hey, I have an hour off. Do you want to go sit by the... Oh, wow, sounds so cheesy. <laughs> um, oh, I have an hour off. Do you want to go, like, sit on the on the dock? And me, I'm being, like, really... I'm, like, really... I'm, like, oh, he's, like, really friendly. da da da, da. I'm making a great friend. Oh, yay. Uh, he was, like, very openly gay. Um, and he was, like, one of the first, like, Black men that I had met that, like shared a similar interest with me or shared a lot of similar experiences with me and also was just like super comfortable with himself and yeah that summer we just spent like making googly eyes at each other and staying up late and going to the woods and i don't know it was it was really cute um and i think towards the end that was like the first time that was the first like guy that i remember being like oh wait i like you but like that also kind of scared me I'm like, oh, wait, what does that mean, like, outside of this space? It turned out it was just, like, a summer thing, which is fine. But I think that was the first time I'm like, okay, I have feelings for another guy. Not the first time. So I was like, okay, I have feelings for another guy. This, like, a mutual interest. But also I'm kind of scared of, like, what that looks like outside of this, like, very controlled environment. Um, and, yeah, we're still friends now. And it was, in a, it was in a place where it felt like really, really safe to do that. That was the first time I like actively allowed myself to do that. Um, 
and I just remember texting my cousin. I was like, oh, I have like this, this like summer fling. And she was like, oh, who is she? And I was like, it's actually a guy. Um, and I was like super, super hard. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Um, and she was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And I think that was the first time where we're super close. We're like, we both grew up together. We're both in our 20s. Um, and that was like the very first time that I told someone like, oh, this is like a part of, this is a part of my identity. And sharing that identity would not be so normal. Um, but when I think of like coming out, I always have felt like I never got like a huge, like grand, like here I am, here's what this is, here's like this part of me. Um, and I guess like coming out is always advertised on media as like something like you have to do. And I think my understanding now is something like do it on your own time in the way that is like most safe and comfortable for you. And there was this weird, I don't know, for the longest time I felt like, oh, my coming out wasn't like super interesting or like it wasn't my own. Um, especially like as it relates to like my parents and like other close family members. Um, another time, I feel like I've come out like a bunch of times um, and also like within the last month. So that first time I was like 20. Another time was probably like a year later. I um, was in college, I was super involved. I was always like going to like student leadership conferences and stuff like that. Um, my parents were really used to me being like, oh, someone's paying for my plane ticket. I'm gonna be here from like this, these days to these days. Um, and so I got sponsored to go to a conference for queer HBCU students in DC. Um, I didn't tell my parents, I just told them like, oh, it's not a conference. I'm going with my mentor. I'll be like gone from this day to this day. And they're like, okay, fine. Um, I didn't tell them that it was just all queer and trans HBCU students doing like activism work on like how to make campuses more inclusive. Didn't tell me any of that. Cause I was like, eh, don't know if they're ready for that. Also don't know if I'm ready for that. Um, and so it was great. Met some of like super close friends, like we're still close now. Um, it was a really awesome experience. Just like another, I feel like all of my coming out situation have been in like very isolated spaces um, that I've just felt like personally safe in. And that was another space. That was the first time where I was around a ton of college students that all shared like a very similar experience to me. So um, that was my senior year? I was, in an apartment. I was living off campus. Yeah, that was my senior year of college. So it wasn't like a dorm. I was in an apartment. That was like 10 minutes from campus. And so I got, I flew into Atlanta. I drove back to campus or drove back to my apartment, which is like an hour. Um, I get back home. I'm like about to shower, like unpack my stuff. And it's like go to bed because I had to take the GRE the next day. And so I'm on the phone with my mom and or with my dad. And he was like, yeah, how was the thing? And I was like, yeah, it was it was cool, da 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 I met a lot of cool people, gonna do some follow-up stuff. And he was like, do you have anything you want to tell us? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, so someone, I think, was trying to get in contact with him, and they sent me a picture, and it was with, um, do you ever heard of HR, the HRC? The Human Rights Campaign? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 Human Rights Campaign. So they have this conference for queer and trans HBCU students. And he was like, it's like you in a, like in a crowd of like all these other like gay students. Are you gay? And I was like, it's really stunned for words. Cause that just like, wasn't how I wanted to, that's like, it, that wasn't the circumstances that I wanted to tell him in that way. And 
he ended up driving to my apartment that night. Um, and just kind of invading the space in a way that just like made it really, really negative. Um, a lot of Bible verses, a lot of just like heavy air in a way that I didn't like. Um, a lot of saying all the things that we would expect like a pastor to say to his son about like the sin, all the stuff, the choice. And I just remember like not, I just remember like just feeling really, really like attacked and really bad about that. Um, but also him leaving was like the assumption that, okay, I stayed for two days and now like my son is not gay. And I remember like him leaving and be like, I still like boys. So, or I still like guys. And so I don't really know how to, what this like this whole exchange was supposed to do. Um, and yeah, I think that there's often been this assumption that it's like with my dad, that our relationship like it on paper, it's fine. You know, we we talk pretty often. Um, it just kind of feels like now there's just like a part of my life where we just don't talk about. And that's not ideal and it's not what I would like. But right now that's kind of like just where we are. So I don't know. What do you wish he would have said? I I wish he in that moment he would have done like less accusing. I mean, I wish he would have said like, I love you regardless and I want the best for you. And I I think one of my friends, she's trans. And when she, she told me something that I like, I've always thought about. She was like, when you come out to parents, that is now, you then also have to allow them the time to rework the thoughts that they had for you. And I think that that's like, that's also a component of like you coming out to anyone that you now have to rework the assumption that they have now have to have time to rework the assumption that they have about you. And I think with parents, sometimes that is like extremely difficult to do. And I think in that moment, what I would have liked was for him to just be a lot more like trusting of my like decisions and also be just like a lot more aware of how that, of how difficult that situation was for me at the time. Um, at the end of the day, I think I would just like would have loved him to say like, okay, that's fine. Cause like it is a part, but it's not all the parts. So like my best friends have been with me through like the entire like evolution of me, like dating guys, like figuring out just how I exist in those spaces. And that's been really, really rewarding. And also um, like certain family members or certain like close people that I've grown up with um, haven't had the best reception to it. And I think just now um, being 25, I'm coming to a place where I'm like, it's my life. And at the end of the day, I want to be happy with, with me and I want to be happy with what I have going on. And so I feel like very, I was like, I'm like a late bloomer, but I feel like very recently, um, I don't know, I've just felt much more grounded in my own identity and much more grounded, like being open with that. Because I also think like the more I can be like, this is just who I am and it's not highly doubt it's going to change at this point. 
I feel like just the more normalized it becomes for other people. So yeah, I think that's kind of where I am right now. We also had the opportunity to talk about Jonathan being a queer teacher and how he uniquely supports his students. I mean, I think growing up, I would have just appreciated having an adult that I didn't feel judged by, um, whether that's like a, a parent, a teacher, a neighbor, somebody just like someone that is older than me that I know I can come to with these thoughts, these feelings and not feel judged by. And so for my kids, um, we actually had one of our kids, he like came out in the, like the last month of school. Um, and it was the best thing ever. He came, he's like, Mr. Pulliam, guess what? He pulled, like, he had a full like set on, like he got his nails done. And to see how, one, like how comfortable he is like with himself and like to see that he told me like a week before and that he wanted to tell his class. And I was like, okay, how do you, how do you feel about this? Where are your feelings? And he's like, so just to see, like to hear him like articulate his own feelings in a way that I know I did not have the capacity to do when I was like eight or nine years old. It was just so fun. And also just to see him like come to me like very privately. Um, we had lunch one day. He was like, hey, I feel this way and I want to tell my class. And I was like, okay, we can, do you need any help? What do you need? He was like, nothing. I just wanted you to know. And I'm like, all right, eat your macaroni. Um, I think like what I want for my kids is if, cause some like very well might have an adult that they feel trust, they like they feel they can trust. Um, I just want to know like Mr. Pulliam is not, is here to make sure you are safe, loves you however you choose to show up. Because just for queer people, I think we are often having just to find safe spaces and sometimes just like creating carve out safe spaces for ourselves. In a way I don't think we should have to which just kind of is part of our narrative. And I think I just want my kids to know that Mr. Pulliam, my room just is a safe space for you, however you choose to show up today. Because like, it could change, you're eight, but however you choose to show up today, I just want my kids to know like you are safe right here. Um, and they know that. Representation, like it won't save us, but it's like a really good place to start. Um, I think that's, how we can make like queer kids and queer adults feel safer and be safer because um, it's hard out here and the best of on the best days it's hard out here What's up, everybody, and welcome to the after show. You just heard the words and stories of Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for sharing your story with all of us. Lots to unpack here. Mm-hmm. Lots to unpack. Mm-hmm. I want to start with a big topic here. <laughs> And you can tell me if I want to, if you want me to, like, please tell me if you, you know, if you want to start somewhere else. But I think this is a great story uh, to talk about the intersections of being Black, um, being queer, 
and religion. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, as a former chaplain, mm -hmm. how did you, how did this story sit with you? Um, considering those intersections and considering your experience? Mm. Oh, that's a really good question. I think, you know, the person that I am now uh, in my journey, as opposed to maybe who I was when I was serving in the military as a chaplain or pastoring is very different, right? Because I'm, I'm different. Where I'm at in my life is different. My view of myself is different. My self-awareness is different. Um, I think that for me, the biggest thing about faith, because everybody has a different, everybody can have different faith traditions, right? Faith systems that they they adhere to or believe in, or that gives them purpose. But it's like, I just, I wish for a day that we use our faith, or in this case, that we use theology as a tool to, to liberate and not oppress. Like, our connection with the divine should be about liberation. It shouldn't be about ways that make us feel smaller. If anything, it should make us expand, right? To see how expansive we can be. Um, with the aid or the help of the divine. And so listening to this story, I hated the ways that that faith was literally used as a rod, as a tool, as a weapon. It was really weaponized against, against him, you know, in ways that he didn't deserve. Absolutely. I mean, um, just the mere fact that, you know, his dad drove to his dorm room mm -hmm. to share scriptures, right? I think that that was um, just just a jaw-dropping moment. Um, and I know that that's something that a lot of queer youth, especially, but queer people, like, face um, and think about, which is, like, I've been raised in this religious household. I may believe in God and, you know, Jesus or whoever in the same way that, like, my family does. <clears throat> but there's just cognitive dissonance here because I'm receiving these messages from the from from a very powerful place from the pulpit, yeah, that directly contradict my very being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, how how do queer people go about navigating their own journeys with religion and their queerness? You know, I think for me, there's a verse um, in Psalm chapter 139. Give us a verse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> um, but it says that I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Mm hmm And I think for me that that verse was transformative because I think about the fact that if we look at ourselves, especially when you're walking into your power as a queer person, that is you recognizing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, yo, like all these messages that I've heard, all these things that I've heard, nah, this is who I am and I'm okay with it. And I think the the work, right? The work of, of a queer person is for the deepest part of ourself, which is our soul. That's our mind. That's our intellect. That's our emotions is to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that your creator didn't make a single mistake on who you are. And I don't think that, you know, as, as queer people, especially in religious and sacred spaces, our energy is not best spent trying to justify that our creator made us fearfully and wonderfully. Our, our energy is best spent 
point into ourselves every day so that our soul knows it. And so I think that's something in Jonathan's story that as you listen to it, that that's what he did, right? That he continued to pour into himself and surround himself with community of people who affirmed that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. There's another layer on top of that that I think like is just like the role of folks in leadership um, in church as well, who, when they hear that folks are queer, attempt to help, right? Because like, I need to assist you here, right? I think that Jonathan's story is a little bit different in the sense that or unique in the sense where like he says that he was dragged out, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he went to a conference. Yeah. And so I think um, it just begs me to just think about, <clears throat> sorry, this chocolate. If it, it just begs me to think about like what pastors and like religious leaders need work that they need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to quote unquote help, um, it reminds me of this very famous pastor that 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 I know, who just became the chief apostle of one of the largest denominations. And I remember on a talk he had, he said, "Yeah, folks who are struggling with their sexuality, like you should be able to come to the church, right?" Or like any issue you 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 have, you should be able to come to the church for assistance. And 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 he talked about creating a, a ministry that helped people to control their urges for same sex mm-hmm. relations. That included giving him their phone, his phone number, giving them his phone number, so that he could you know read scriptures, counsel them. He also talked about bringing a psychologist on staff as well mm-hmm. to also help with, with that. And so I, it just like, it frustrates me, um, saddens me, like breaks my heart to know that a place, an institution that is so instrumental for Black community, that's so instrumental for our progress, right? Like as a people at the same time, simultaneously, is oppressing those very same people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think about sacred spaces, especially Black sacred spaces, and the ways that, you know, sometimes I think in an effort to still feel loved and supported, in an effort to still be seen, we will go into places that we know willingly oppress us, right? We will go into spaces that we know that if people really knew, air quotes, who we were, you wouldn't be able to survive in that environment. But because we want the community, because of the traditions, because of the music, because of the food, because of the, the clothes, because of the how it feels, right? We keep going. And so I pose two questions. One question is literally like, yo, fam, if you were going to a church that is literally denigrating your very existence, it's literally saying that God made a mistake on who you are. That church is not an ally to you, right? But that church is also not instrumental in you being the best holistic version of self, because it's like if you're going to deny a person their identity at the expense of your God, then like, I don't want that. Right. Like, I don't want that because that, you're, it actually goes to show how small minded your God is that when we think about all the things that make up who I am, that this idea that my creator made me. But this one thing he made a mistake on. Right. That there's a mistake made here. And so like that God is not big or expansive enough to be like, yo. 
I made this well. And that includes you. The other thing, though, is that like, yo, if you're trying to be a space where people can feel included and supported and loved, right, so they can grow and spiritually mature or whatever you want it to be, what is the work that you're doing, right? So like, yeah, sure, it's all about the education. It's about the conversations. It's about the integration of like knowing that like a person who is queer does not have to partition their spirituality and their sexuality, but they can exist in harmony, that your spirituality and your sexuality can coexist together, right? Um, but it's also like, what are the ways that you make space for people to explore? So like in your Bible study groups, can people talk about their sexuality, right? In in um, in testimony service, do we have to say that like somebody's struggling? Like, can it actually be that like, yo, I found myself and this is who I am, or this is the love of my life and this person is sitting next to me, right? Does your staff reflect people who feel open enough to talk about their sexual orientation without hiding it or being in the closet, right? Um, do you have other leaders in the church who are also queer, who can also lend voice and power to these conversations happening? Because otherwise we just have a bunch of straight people making choices. Openly so, queer, because we, right. we know that they're in the church, let's be clear. Right, that's what, openly queer folks, correct, as you said, right? So it's like, what are the ways that you're willing to shift the power dynamic to change the culture so that people can authentically and wholly grow integrating their spirituality and their sexuality. Absolutely. How can we continue to create inclusive spaces, especially for black people, right? Like we especially need spaces where we are totally affirmed because we have been in a country that has dehumanized us from the very moment we have stepped foot um, on this land. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just wanted to just like touch on this idea of of being dragged out, mm-hmm. right? Like he didn't even allow, he didn't even have an opportunity to allow his dad to come in, right? To invite he didn't get to invite him in. He was dragged out himself. And I think that that just that is a struggle um, that I think I faced, um, or that like that was a big fear of mine, right? Like when I came out, I was nervous. Um, that someone else was going to tell my, my mom or that it was going to become public because of some drama that was happening with it. So I told my mom out of fear that someone else would tell her before I did and therefore would be able to control my narrative, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. that's what it's about, right? It's about not just mom, I'm gay, but it's like, mom, I'm gay and, right? Like, this is what it means. This is what it means to me, right? right? Like, that's also a part of our inviting in slash coming out right like it's like it's not just i have a crush it's not just i'm in love it's not just all of this it's 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 that and let me just like break it down to you my coming of age and like what mm-hmm. it has meant to me how i've how i've grown how i've internalized that right and like what i see for myself right like mm-hmm. we don't want to just minimize it to this is who i am because that leaves room and space for us to only see queer people as queer, right? Like not as human beings right. who experience love, who experience heartbreak, who experience uh, pain, who experience all, like so so many human emotions. It just flattens. Um, it, it, it flattens the experience. Totally, totally, totally right. 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 Yeah, it totally flattens the experience. Hmm. Yeah, this idea that he was dragged out, um, 
you know, he, he basically said that it wasn't how he wanted to come out. Right. And I think that the one thing that I think that parents can do, people can do when someone shares their story, shares their truth with them is that, you know, when a person is telling you who they are, that's who they are. They didn't ask. They're not asking for affirmation. They're not asking for approval. And what gets me was that he talked about, you know, his dad stayed for two days and essentially without saying like maybe by his his mere presence being in the room that that was going to maybe make him change. Mm-hmm. You know, and what he said was that for him. So his so here's what it is like. I'm sure that his dad did this from his dad's perspective in the most loving way that he could at that time. Right. But what his dad was doing wasn't affirming him. And actually he said that it felt like weighty. Like he just said the air, he said that the air was heavy and he basically that it wasn't helpful for him. And so it's like, I want us to think about the ways that like, when someone tells you their truth, are you doing what you think is best? Or are you asking them like, yo, that's like really big. What do you need from me right now? Because when you really ask him like what he wanted from his dad and stuff like that, he wanted his dad to tell him like, yo, I love you and I want what's best for you. Think about the power of that. Like if you, instead of walking in, you know, that's something I think I learned as a chaplain when I first started the clinical work uh, at the VA hospital, I walked in like, I'm the chaplain. And basically because I'm the chaplain, like I'm going to, you know, perform a miracle or, you know, God only speaks to me and I'm going to interpret for you. And my, the person who was supervising me, my chaplain supervisor said like, no, this isn't about you. This is about the person in the bed. So when you walk in, you have to feel the room. You have to read the room. You have to look at what's going on, look at the nonverbal and just sit. Just sit with them and be okay with silence, right? And then after you have them, after you have a moment to connect person to person and spirit to spirit, it's like, what can I do to support you? What can I do to love you right now? And so when I listen to Jonathan's story, I think that that is the lesson for all people who get to hear someone's truth because it's an intimate experience that they're allowing you into. So the question of the day becomes not like, what do you need to hear? What scripture? What does God say? No, I love you. I support you. And right now, in this moment, how can I best show up for you? I think that's a good way to end. Um, Thank you, Jonathan, for your words, your vulnerability, your story. Um, And thank you to everyone who has listened. We will see you next time. The Common Sense Podcast was written and produced by Patrick Harris. If you want to know more information, please hit me up on Twitter or wherever your social media preference is at President Pat. Thank y'all so much. And I'll see you next time. Peace.